Uh, last three weeks, this is the third week, we're doing a topic, a series on worship, and we have three more weeks to go after this week. And uh, I'll just tell you exactly where it's going to go. <laughs> it's going to go right uh, to the Lamb. So before we talk about worship, let's just talk about things about us and talk about Scripture a little bit. And number one in our notes, we are commanded in Scripture to avoid destructive emotions. Um, the Scripture is full of wisdom. The Scripture is full of advice. Um, but Scripture says some things that, have you ever read and just kind of stood back and said, what did that just say? One of the things it says is, uh, don't have depression. Uh, don't have guilt. Don't have rage. Don't have anger. Have you ever looked at that and said, what? Are you serious? Okay, if I'm not supposed to have depression, you've got to give me some tools to, to get out of it. In other words, if Scripture says, do not do this, don't walk into that, you're supposed to have joy. Instead, how do I get out of it? Say a person that has rage inside of themselves. If you're filled with rage, is there step one, goal one, goal two, goal three, I do this and this and this and this, and then I'll be done with rage and will not have it anymore. How do you get out of that? Fear. If you're consumed with fear, how do you get out of it? What, what can happen where, where you can get out of it? Is there any sort of tools whatsoever that we can get out of it? Um, I've told this story before, but I just love the story. About uh, 15 years ago, um, I took a group down the Rogue River Trail, 40-mile hike, and my wife and I were the leaders. And uh, it was a very uh, difficult hike. And then on the last day, um, we had a bear raid us all night. We had 13 kids that were sitting on a tarp. They were sleeping. And then my wife and I and this bear was so persistent because it wanted something from our camp. Now for me, after hiking, I guess it was probably about 32 miles by then, I was exhausted. I wanted to do nothing but sleep. So the bear started to come into the camp, and then I got hit. Hit by who? Hit by my wife. There is a bear in the camp. Get it out. Sure enough, what would I do? I'd just jump up, grab pans, and I'd, I'd, I'd run it out. And then as soon as I came back, I would just be completely out. And uh, she would do it again. There's a bear in her camp. Get it out. And uh, so I'd get up, and I, I'd do it again. And I'd fall back, and I'd fall back to sleep again. Uh, my whole mind that was thinking was, you know what? Who cares if there's a bear in the camp? It's not like he's going to gnaw on us when we're sleeping. It's not like he's going to chew my leg off. All he wants to do is sniff around and maybe even cuddle a little bit. That's all right. If I'm sleeping, it's no big deal. Um, I didn't tell that to her. And the reason why is because there was fear in her that was consuming her. And those are something that I really wouldn't tell her. Well, knock it off. Stop fearing. It's no big deal. Take that emotion and get rid of it. When you read the Bible and you say, Philippians 4, 6, be anxious for nothing, do you go, yeah, right. Is that what you think about? Proverbs three twenty five. do not be afraid. Do you ever read that passage and say, yeah, right. Have you looked around? Do you see what kind of world we live in? Or if I'm not supposed to be afraid, how do I work getting out of being afraid? This is not like a behavior. You're starting to talk about emotions. How do you get rid of these emotions? Colossians 3.8. But now you also put them alongside, what? Anger, wrath, malice. These are not behaviors. They are something that's welling up inside of us. And as these things are welling up inside of us, you hear directives. Knock it off. Stop. But how? How do you stop anger? How do you stop rage? How do you stop depression? Is there any antidote? Does the Bible offer any antidote to get rid of those things? 
Number two, we are told in Scripture that we should have God-honoring emotions. We're told to not have God, to stay away from emotions that are not God-honoring, and also have God-honoring emotions, which would be, be happy, have joy, love. Now we can use love and say, you know, well, love is a verb. Love is a commitment. Well, it says love God with all your heart. What does that mean? Love God with the deepest part of you. Love God with emotions. How do you love God with emotions? How do you just choose to be happy? How does it come out? Is there any steps or any formulas that you can do? I mean, look at the world. Look at our situation. Look what's happened to me in the past. And as a result of these things that are happening to me in the past, how can this be the result of my emotions? I can't see how you can make that command. Be at rest. Be at peace. You have all these emotions that are in us, that is energy, that is passion, that is consuming us, that is driving us, that is managing our behavior, that is micromanaging our behavior. And the Bible speaks very, I would say, carelessly, but very common. Get rid of those emotions. What is God asking of us? Galatians 5.22 says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. According to this verse, we are supposed to have joy spring out of us. It's fruit. As believers, we're supposed to have joy spring out of us. We're supposed to have love spring out of us. We're supposed to have patience spring out of us. Kindness is supposed to just come out of us. These are not commands. They're not saying do it. It's saying this is supposed to be the emotional experience of a Christian. Well, is joy springing out of you? Is it naturally coming out of you? And if it is not naturally coming out of you, is there a method in the Bible? Is there a direction that we could do to try to make it come out of us? If you look at the Bible, the entire Bible is about emotions more so than actions. We can look at the Bible and say, the Bible is a bunch of rules. I need to behave this way, and I need to do this, and I need to do that. But the Bible is all about emotions, not actions. Just to prove it, are we going to get rewarded for what we do? Or are we going to get rewarded for the motive behind what we do? God judges the thoughts and the intentions even more than the act. Like we read in Matthew, it says, you know, if you give a child a cup of cold water, you will receive that blessing. Well, what if there's a child that's uh, sitting on her step, and uh, he's sitting there before a church, and he's dirty, he's grungy, and, and uh, I walk up to him and say, you know what, we, um, we're going to have church pretty soon, and we don't want really everybody to walk by you. Therefore, I'm going to give you a cup of water so you can go before everybody comes. You think I'm going to get a reward in heaven for that? <laughs> No, because my motives would be completely wrong. And that is the reason why I'm going to get judged. Not the action, but the motives. We have to have the right heart, the right soul, the right mind, the right motives. And I know that if we're out there thinking, it's like, God, that's impossible. And God, if it is possible, have you given any sort of methods any sort of instructions on how my emotions, motives, and desires can be healthy? The answer is yes. Number three, worship is the only source that manages your emotions. 
Worship is the only source that manages your emotions because worship has your heart. Let's talk about this a little bit. Last week we talked about we all worship. Every single one of us are worshipers. People that don't want anything to do with God, that will never walk in the church, that will never have anything to do with God's name, they are just as strong as worshipers are people who walk in the church and worship as well. What we, do, we, we are is we are worshipers and we will find items that we ascribe ourselves to, items that we sell ourselves out to, items that we allow to control us because it is our top focus. So we're all worshipers. Our lives are pulsating with energy and emotions. We know that. It doesn't need to be said. But our lives are what? Pulsating with energy and emotions. We don't have to say, okay, I want my emotions to come up. <laughs> it just doesn't happen. Anger rises. Depression rises. Joy rises. We are people that are pulsating with emotions. The energy and emotions come with what we hold dearest. The energy and emotions come with what we hold dearest. What does that mean? The things that we hold dearest are the things that we'll die for. The things that we will give for. The things that we will live for. The things that we will fight for. And when those things get threatened, what happens? Our emotions, we don't have to ask them. Our emotions come to the surface. So maybe the thing that we hold on to, that we're worshiping, the thing that we have a grip on, if it gets threatened, what happens? The emotions automatically arise. Worshiping God as the dearest thing heals your heart. If you ascribe to the Lord, God, I want to put you first. I want to make my life a life that worships you. You will be walking into an area that you were created to do, that you were created for. And as a result of putting God at the center, what's going to happen? You're going to feed your soul. You're going to heal your soul. In fact, when you worship God, God is going to touch your soul because that's what your soul was created for. On the flip side of that, not worshiping God as the dearest part of you will burn you, own you, control you, destroy you. Romans 1, 26. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the Creator. These are people that chose to not worship God, and they said, I'm going to make a replacement of not worshiping God. I'm going to worship something else. As a result, what happened to them? Since they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, God gave them over to a deprived mind to do what ought not to be done. God's like, if you don't want to worship me as your top priority, go ahead and worship what you want. And as a result of that taking place, they became filled. What is filled? That's a comment um, maybe of an aggressive emotion that is arising inside to overflow. Filled with what? Every kind of wickedness. Filled with evil. Filled with greed. Filled with depravity. They are, and then you get the word again, full, these are all emotions, of envy, murder, strife, deceit and malice. They are gossip, slanders, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They are senseless, faithless, heartless, ruthless. The majority of these, two-thirds of these, are emotions that are springing up inside. 
Why are these emotions springing up inside? The top verse. Because they exchanged the glory of God for a lie and worshipped something other than the Creator. And then the last verse sums it up of why it's taken place. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. So this last passage is saying, they're what? They're Christians. They know the righteous decree. They know that they need to worship God. They know to have God in the center. They know that their job is to worship God and God alone and not hang on to everything else. But what? They can't. They keep on moving. This passage says that we are overpowered with the items that we worship. We are overpowered with the items that we worship. We are controlled by the items that we are worshiped. Our emotions come up with the items, where? That we worship. In fact, that is the driving principle of our emotions, is they come up with the items that we worship. So if we worship power, what's going to happen? We're willing to tear everybody down to build up yourself. We're willing to cut and bruise in business and not even look at people as long as our position stands and remains, as long as we are the sense of authority. It really doesn't matter what God wants. We start even sacrificing the things God wants because our obsession in our worship is in power. If we choose to worship sex, what happens? We take what is not ours, and it grows in us, the hot fire that continues to move us down to a pit of destruction. What I mean by a pit of destruction is... I've worked in an institution. Does it happen overnight? No, it is, this is my God. This is what I worship. This is what I can't live without. This is what I'll die for. This is what I'll hold on to. And it takes them down a pit. All they're doing is worshiping one thing. Worship money. You'll cheat to get it. You'll lie to hold on to it because it's something that you just want to grab a hold of. And if it is threatened, what happens? All of the emotions start to rise. We worship image, worship approval. We automatically walk into doors and we start looking around and say, you know, am I the best looking person in the world? Or start casting judgment on somebody else. Well, that person's not you know, in that position. I'm in this position. If we're worshiping our image and our approval of others, this is what comes out of our system. What happens is God has commanded us to specifically worship him. Because if we refuse to put him as an all, we will go down a path of destruction. Number four, the only way to change your emotions for the glory of God is to worship God in spirit and in truth. Next week, I'm going to talk about passage in John and go through the entire passage about the woman at the well because it's the most powerful passage about worship. Um, I was supposed to do it this week, but I cut the sermon in half, so I'll do the rather half next week. But I just want to use a passage where God talks about, Jesus talks about worship at this well. John four twenty one, Jesus declared, Believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know. For salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers worship in spirit and in truth. 
So when you look at these words, that this is what God seeks for, and when the hour comes, the true worshipers worship in tr- spirit and truth, we want to know what those words mean. So let's just look at the definition out of the Webster Dictionary. Definition of spirit. A spirit is a force or principle believed to animate the human and often to endure after departing from the body of a person at death. I just want to look at that first section. A spirit is a force or principle believed to animate the human. Is there any emotions involved in that? The spirit is what makes you alive. It makes you emotionally alive. It makes you excited. It is what gives you the conscience. The spirit is the one thing that even goes to heaven when the body even dies. When we look at the Spirit through the Bible, it makes reference to Spirit in regards to a human being. It's like God breathed into him the breath of life, and then he became a living Spirit. What happens? That person's alive after God breathed into into them that life. But also you see mentioned in Exodus a determined Spirit, a courageous Spirit, an understanding Spirit, a prideful Spirit, which would be a negative sense a jealous spirit, and a spirit of God and the spirit of the world. When he's referring to spirit, what is it saying? It's saying this is what makes you alive or it is what makes you dead. So this spirit is something extremely strong that is in you. In fact, I would go as far as saying that it is you. So here's Jesus saying, worship in your spirit. Put it on the table But spirit and truth go together. So in other words, you can't worship in spirit, not truth. You can't worship in truth and not spirit. Those two go together and set each other on fire. So ask the question, well, what is truth? The definition of truth is conformity of fact. When I take my spirit and I give it to fact, what's going to happen? That is going to set you alive. It's going to set you on fire. Well, what is fact? We often believe that fact is within our situation. We are faced with this situation, and this is the way it is. No, that's not fact. According to this passage, he says, the time is coming. NASB says, the hour is at hand. In other words, fact is coming. Look at this truth. What's the truth? Jesus came to earth and lived a perfect life. He died the death that we should have died, and he rose again. And as a result, what do we have? We have his righteousness. We have his peace. We have his joy. We have his love. In fact, in Christ, we have riches. In Christ, we are set free. In Christ, we are loved. In Christ, we are made alive. Therefore, if you want to take care of your emotions, your spirit, you've got to connect your emotions with what? With truth. And that is the item that will come alive. That is what will make you alive. Let your spirit touch fact, and as your spirit touch fact, that is when your emotions will be changed. I had somebody walk in my office last week, and um, she was depressed, oppressed. Um, she has guilt. She has shame. Um, she had um, things that were going on in her life that were not good, and she made mention that I... Um, wanting to kill myself. As she was saying that, she said a couple other things. that uh, She said there's things that I can't get over in my life, and one is I had an abortion when I, was, when I was young. And I just can't get over that. 
and I, I'm carrying this guilt, and this guilt will not let me go free. And as a result of carrying it, is there any answer that is out there? Now, these are not behaviors. You don't get to look at it and say, get rid of your guilt. It's not behaviors. What they are, they're emotions, they're wellsprings that are coming up in her life, and she cannot stop them, she cannot control them. So what kind of advice do you give somebody that walks into your office like that? The only advice you can get her is take your eyes off of everything that's been done in this world. Take your eyes off of the past. Take your eyes off what you think you are. Take your eyes off of all your situation, all your pain, all that you have, and put your eyes somewhere else. Put it directly on the cross of Christ. Because if you put it directly on the cross of Christ, what are you going to see? You're going to see a God who said, I have died for your sin and guilt. And if your eyes are looking really close at the cross, what do you say when you carry guilt? You're making a statement. God, you died. I wish your death was strong enough to wash me clean and wash my guilt away. That's what you're saying if you're carrying guilt. But the cross says, I have laid my life down so you do not have to feel guilty. You are a free person. Don't let it ruin you. You see how we find life? It is at the cross. In fact, every issue that we're faced with in life, depression, oppression, loss, all those things can be met when we go where? To the cross. See, what happens is worship is the one thing that heals your emotion and controls your emotion, but it has to be focused on the one item that will set you free in life. And that one item is what? Is the cross. So how do you worship in spirit and in truth? How do I heal my emotions in the process of worshiping in spirit and truth? I have all these things that are coming up inside of me. I need to be healed. Give me some steps that will bring healing to me. Here's three steps for the process of healing emotions. Number five, to change your emotions, worship God by thanking Him. <laughs> as you can see, that that is not very complicated. It's a simple directive. Let's look at this in perspective because I would say that thanking God is the most powerful tool in the world to calm your emotions. Let's look at this. If you are consumed with guilt, overpowered by guilt, controlled by guilt, the last thing that wants to come from your mouth is what? Is thank you. Why? Because why would you say thank you if I committed this sin, if my past looked like this? Why would I say thank you if my situation looks like this? Why would I do that? If you are depressed or enraged, why would you say thank you? Again, the hour is coming that when Christ came and died, the cross is the only place that you can go and see, have guilt, and say the, word, the powerful word, Thank you. Why? Because it's dealt with the guilt. It's dealt with the depression. It's dealt with the emotion. It's dealt with your sin. In fact, what the cross does, uh, the words thank you does, is it actually takes you out of your situation and puts you into another situation. If I'm living in this situation and I say thank you, those words, I'm living in guilt and I say thank you, I'm now moving myself over to this situation. What situation are you moving yourself into? A heavenly one. I'm moving into this world. When you say thank you to God, 
you're almost moving into another world. What kind of world? A world of freedom, a world of forgiveness, a world that can set a person free. When you look through the book of Psalms, there's a couple driving words in almost every song. Um, and one of those driving words is, is thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Give glory to God with thanksgiving. That word just consistently comes out. Who wrote the majority of Psalms? David did. I just read the uh, um, story of David through um, 2 Samuel. And uh, as I was reading the story of David through 2 Samuel, uh, David did not have a very easy life. It was very difficult in 1 Samuel to even try to get the kingship. And then after he was king, it still was not good. David should have been consumed with guilt. Why? Because he committed adultery with Bathsheba and then murdered her husband. He should be completely consumed with guilt. David should be consumed with oppression, depression, rage, and anger. He was moved out of his kingdom twice, moved out of Jerusalem twice. One was by his son Absalom. And when Absalom moved him out of Jerusalem, Absalom wanted to make a mockery out of David. And the way he made a mockery to say, I'm in charge, is he put all of David's concubines on top of a building and had sex in front of the whole Jerusalem with David's concubines for the purpose of saying, David is not in charge. I am in charge. David should, I think, have some issues. All the way through David's life, oppression, depression, rage, anger, malice, all those things should be raging out in sight. But yet we have a book of Psalms that does what? Consistently says, thank you. Why is David saying thank you? Psalms 54, 6, I will give thanks to your name, O Lord, for you are good. David is saying thank you because he knew that worship and the word thanks would pull him out of a situation and put him into another one. And that other one was into the presence of God. Psalms 107, 1, O give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his loving kindness is everlasting. What's he hanging on to? Is he hanging on to a situation? Is he hanging on to a circumstance? No, he's hanging on to outside of his situation, outside of his circumstances. He's hanging on to God, and as soon as his mind and heart opens up to God, what does he say in praise? Thank you, thank you, thank you. Why? Because he needs it. Because the situation doesn't provide it for him. We see that with Paul and Silas as well. We hear the words that they were singing in prison. Why was Paul and Silas singing in prison? Was it because they're super spiritual? Or maybe it's because they needed it. They needed to have a right heart in the dungeon, a right heart in the pit. And they knew the source of getting the right heart. What was it? I need to worship. I need to sing praise to God. Because as I sing praise and worship to God, it's going to pull me out of this pit and it's going to put me into a different world. Now, if I refuse to sing praise to God, I'll just remain in my pit. I'll remain in my situations. I'll remain in my circumstances. And my emotions will continue to be driven towards that direction. But inside my circumstances, if I can say thank you to God and sing praises, it will pull your mind out. There's been some studies that what is on the lips actually changes the heart. Just in a sense that if you say, thank you, what happens? The heart even begins to be nurtured. If you give compliments, the heart even begins to nurture. Where do we get that? The reason why we get that is in Proverbs. This is how it functions. This is how it works. We are designed to worship God. Psalms 109, 30. With my mouth, 
I will give thanks abundantly to the Lord, and in the midst of many, I will praise him. First thing to do to put a whole bunch of water on the fire of emotions is to go to God and say thank you. Now, is this easy or is it a one-time event? Um, It's not a one-time event and it is not easy. In fact, it is a daily process. It is such a daily process that I have a prayer journal that I look at every day, and um, I I forget um, about where I'm at. I forget to say thank you to God, and as a result of that, my emotions start controlling me. So I just have it written down. Here's my prayers in the morning. God, thank you for your love. God, thank you for your grace. God, thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your cross. God, thank you for pouring heaven into my heart. God, thank you for your word. God, thank you for meeting me in prayer. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. Thank you for producing me and sustaining me. Thank you for saving me and keeping me. Thank you for setting me free from sin's bondage. Thank you for peace in all circumstances. Thank you for the church. Thank you for my heavenly home. I forget. But what is worship? Worship is not forgetting. Worship is waking up in the morning and say, okay, I'm not going to start my day with my mind being controlled by my situations. I'm going to start my day with my mind being controlled on what Christ has done for me and give thanks for it. Number six, to change your emotions, worship God by praising him. You must find your meaning and purpose in something. We are created to find our meaning and purpose in something that is bigger than us. If we find our meaning and purpose in the item that is bigger than us, which would be God, we will find life. If we find our meaning and purpose in something smaller than us, it's going to do nothing but dehumanize us, ruin us, and destroy us. Praising God is saying, God, you're at the top. Praising God is saying, God, you're on the throne. God, you are almighty. God, you are there. God, you are in control. God, you are the one. Praise is a statement that lifts lifts God above absolutely everything. In our situations, our situations are lifted above everything. Worship heals the emotions because what happens is it's taking the situation and saying, God, I know you're above my situation. I know you're above my pain. You see how it calms your emotions if we specifically just say those words? Psalm seven seventeen. I will give thanks to the Lord according to his righteousness, and I'll sing praise to his name of the most Lord most high. Psalms 106, 1, praise the Lord. I'll give thanks to the Lord for he is good, for his loving kindness is everlasting. These people are not doing this because they're instructed to do it. They're doing it because there is life in worship. There's peace in worship. There's healing in worship. Worship is what they have to do to survive. It's not worship one time a week. It's devoting your life to worship because that is the only thing that's going to change your heart, soul, and mind. Number seven, seven, to change your emotions, worship God by honoring Him. When you honor God, you're letting the value of God sink deep into your soul. When you honor God, you're letting the value of God sink deep into your soul. When you honor money, you're letting the value of money sink deep into your soul. That item ruins you. But when you honor God, you're letting the value, the beauty, the majesty, the glory of God sink deep into your soul. And if we make a lifestyle of God sinking deep into my soul, what's going to take place? Remember what 
the fruit of the Spirit is? It's an energy that comes up of joy, of peace, of love, of patience. It's something that you almost can't even control if you choose to honor God as the top. You see, He's the source of life, and we go to Him as the source, the power, the control. What's going to take place is our cup will be overflowed. Psalms 29.2, Ascribe to the Lord the glory due to His name. Worship the Lord in His holy array. Number eight, making a lifestyle of worshiping in spirit and truth is the only place you will find emotional freedom. You can't set a goal when it comes to emotional freedom. I will get rid of this emotion. What you have to do is you have to set your eyes off the item that is controlling your emotion and place your eyes on God. It's the only way it's going to happen. There is no other way you have a spring of joy come up. There is no other way you have a spring of happiness. There is no other way you have a spring of peace until you take your eyes off of the situation and place it on God. It has to be done every day and worship. Worship is the one item that controls the emotion. That is why it is the one commandment. Love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. The top commandment is to do that. What is it? To worship. Because God knows that our emotions drive our actions and therefore needs to be changed. 1 Corinthians 2.12 Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given, uh, given to us by God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but there's a spirit that I'm going to receive. And when I receive that spirit in worship, what's going to happen? We will understand what God has given us. You feel guilty? The only thing you need to do is understand what God has given you. And if you understand what God has given you, that will slowly go away. You feel oppressed, depressed? Understand what God has given you. And when you understand what God has given you, that will start going away. That's why worship is the strongest power of healing emotions. We're going to do communion, and I just want to challenge you as you come up to the table um, to make this your goal. God, I want you on top. I want to ascribe nothing else. I want to worship nothing else but you. I want you to trump absolutely everything. When you're eating the bread, it's because that his body is broken. When you're drinking the juice, it's because his blood was spilled out to pour love into your heart, to pour peace into your heart to pour joy into your heart. These are the items that make the statement of this is where it's all at. This should control my emotions, drive my emotions, build my passion. Therefore, make the commitment when you walk up the table. God, I want to ascribe to you and you alone, not to anything else, because I need my emotions to be calm. Therefore, I want to be focused in what I ascribe to and also what I worship. Father, we just thank you for the cross. And God, as we eat the bread, I just pray, God, that it will be a time of reflection on what you have done for us. God, as we reflect on your broken body, there is no way that we can say that it's not strong enough to heal our guilt. There's no way that we can say it's not strong enough, God, to heal our pain. No way that we can say that it's not strong enough to calm our emotions or wash us clean. God, as we meet you at the table, I just pray, God, that you will speak to all of us that your body was sufficient, your broken body was sufficient to set us free.
that your blood was spilt so we can be completely clean. Thank you so much for this freedom. In Christ's name, amen.